there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We talk a great deal about transformation around here. We read about transformation in the world. People write books about transformation. There's all kinds of things going on about transformation, yet we understand very little and realize even less about transformation. This may not apply to you. You may understand everything and realize everything about transformation. And if that's the case, why are you listening to me? What are you doing here? Life as we don't know it would be impossible without constant transformation all around us. And yet we take it all for granted. If I were to ask you for examples of transformation, could you give me an example of transformation, Kurt? The rest of you should be thinking about it because I'm probably going to ask you when he comes up with nothing. Rex? The seasons, okay. Jess? A caterpillar to a butterfly. A caterpillar to a butterfly. That's transformation. Excellent. Okay, anything else? Take your time. Pat? Baby in the womb. Great. That's a perfect example. All right, time's up. The reason we don't come up with things is because we take transformation for granted. The reason that we come up with big things like well, a caterpillar to a butterfly is because we take transformation for granted. The reason we come up with a baby in a womb is because we take transformation for granted. We don't see it every day. When was the last time you were pregnant? When, when was the last time you were having that transformation in your body? It's been a long time. But when was the last time you had a transformation going on in your body? Well, you have one going on in your body right now. In fact, you have many transformations going on in your body right now. Our existence came about through the transformation in the womb, as Patty pointed out. Actually, not just one transformation, but a number of transformations, of which we know nothing or very little. If we knew so much about it, why can't we do it? Why can't we create this? Why can't we make this transformation outside of the womb? Well, we can't, but we're working on it, and we believe we're going to get it. And why do we believe that? Because we believe the outside is the only thing that can change, and it's the answer to everything, and the inside can never change. We believe in science. We believe that science will save us when we just know enough. We're alive due to constant transformations in the body every moment. And yet we remain ignorant of that. And why I say that is because not one person here gave me an example of a transformation in the body other than the great transformation of birth, growing a child in a womb. So we remain ignorant. We remain ignorant because we take it all for granted. Everything in nature works by transformations. Eggs are transformed into birds or reptiles. Seeds are transformed into trees or plants. Sunlight, water, and nutrients are transformed into green plants, leaves, things. Ordinarily, we take ourselves for granted, and we see no mystery anywhere. We see the big mysteries, a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. We see the mystery of a child being grown in the womb. We see big transformations like that if someone asks us. But the rest of the time, we take it for granted. If we didn't take it for granted, we didn't take the, that mystery of birth and a being growing in a womb, if we didn't take that for granted, do you think we could really abort as many of them as we do? That would be pretty difficult. That whole idea would be pretty difficult. Do you think if we could really, if we really could understand the mystery of that, if we could really get it, do you think we'd really have child abuse? Do you think people would really treat each other the way they treat each other if we had a sense of the miraculous? 
You know, I don't think so. Mainly because when I do, I don't. When I have a sense of the miraculous, when I have a sense of the mystery, I live my life in awe and wonder for however long I'm having that experience. So I suspect everyone would. But because we see no mystery anywhere, we can't grow and develop. We keep repeating, doing the same thing again and again. And in fact, getting denser and lower, more contracted. We're not expanding. We're contracting as a race, as a species. People think, oh, yes, well, we're making such great strides. People are getting better. In what way? Well, now we have airplanes and cars and televisions and computers. And, but that doesn't make people better. That just changes how we do things. But we still do the same things. Now we use computers and video games to kill people. Yes, the United States Army, the terrorists, whoever they are, people are training now. They're recruiting 13, 14, 15-year-old kids through video games to get them used to going into the army where they will use computers and basically things, screens that look like video games to launch missiles, drop bombs, and kill. This is what we do. We take the improvements, the progress that we make scientifically, and we apply it in the same old ways to kill. And then, after we've killed and wounded, then we take science to heal those who've been wounded so that they can go back out and kill some more. This is what we do. So when people say we're progressing, understand we may find better ways to do what we do. We may find more efficient ways to kill. But that doesn't mean that we've changed internally. To change internally would mean we wouldn't want to kill anymore. That's not the case. If you say, but it is the case, I don't want to kill, ask yourself what you would do if it were a matter of you or the other guy. And if you can lie to yourself about that, well, then you can lie to yourself about anything. And you'll just have to observe yourself until you can finally find something that you can't lie about anymore. You'll find some contradiction in yourself that you can't lie about anymore. And when you do, then you'll have a basis to begin this work. Until then, there's not much hope. The wonder of our existence doesn't enter our limited consciousness, except on rare occasions. What are those rare occasions? Near-death experiences as a rule. Although I have seen it when a father or a mother sees their baby for the first time. I've seen the spark. I've seen them become momentarily enlightened. And that soon dissipates. But I've seen it. It happens. But it's one of those rare occasions. Why? Well, mostly because we're distracted from the miraculous by the static that's coming in through the five senses all the time. The whole world is distracting us. Everything is distracting us because we're turned in the wrong direction. We're turned outward instead of inward. Because we were turned inside out shortly after birth. At birth, we were faced internally. We were born awake. We were born remembering ourselves. Now, people don't necessarily agree with this because they can't see that a child, an infant, could be turned inward. They think, well, they couldn't be turned anyway. They don't know anything. They're not self-aware. They're not anything. But they slowly become aware of the outer world. At first, they're only aware of their internal world, but they slowly become aware of the outer world. They slowly become aware of their fingers and their hands and their feet. And then they find the way to put them in their mouth. They slowly become aware of mom and dad. They slowly become aware of the things around them. In the first little while, they can barely even see. They see shadows. They don't really see distinctly as we see. It takes them a while before they can see because they're so internal. But by the time they're six, seven, eight years old, sometimes even sooner, five years old, they've been turned inside out. So everything that was internal is now external. They're looking out here for everything. They look out here for this, out here for that. The things that satisfied them internally now have to be found out here. And their reproductions, they never really work, not the same way as internal satisfaction does. This static 
that we get through the five senses acts like a hypnosis wheel. Have you ever seen those hypnosis wheels? I think it's on the twilight zone or something. They have that little wheel and it turns and if you look at it, it just draws you in. And supposedly that's supposed to hypnotize you and people have used things like that to hypnotize people for a long time. That static acts like that hypnosis wheel, keeping us fast asleep, barring the gateway to the third and fourth states of consciousness. Though we're capable of four states of consciousness, we know that we only live in two of them, the so-called waking state, which is the second state of consciousness, and sleep, which is the first state of consciousness. We hear about the third state of consciousness and the fourth state of consciousness, but it's rare that we ever get a flash or a glimpse of it. So though we are capable of four states, for us, in our current condition, we only know two of those states. Normally, we should be in the third state of consciousness, which this work calls self-remembering, or self-awareness, or self-consciousness. That's the state into which we were born. And then, by the people around us, through our imitation of them, we basically turned ourselves inside out so that we were not aware of ourselves anymore, but we became aware of this outer world through the five senses. And then we started to rely on everything that came into us through the five senses. It was the hypnotism of life that induced our current state of waking sleep. And only through years of observing ourselves do we realize that we are asleep. Oh, I can say this to almost anyone. I can convince almost anyone, argue with almost anyone, and convince them that we're in a sort of waking sleep. They will admit that if I give them enough examples. If I point out enough examples, they'll admit that sometimes they're in waking sleep. But they will very soon forget that, and they will even more quickly fall back into the pattern of believing themselves fully conscious all the time. And that this waking sleep is every once in a while, they have a moment, a lapse in consciousness where they are not fully conscious, where they're only partially conscious. But they can be fully conscious at any time that they want to. They can just snap themselves out of it and be fully conscious. This is the way we think. When I say this is the way we think, I mean this is the way people on this planet think. And it takes years of self-observation to start to dismantle that. You have been observing yourselves for years. And it's not just self-observation, it has to be proper self-observation. And yet, still, you are convinced that you're fully conscious. And when I remind you, then you are reminded of all the times that you've observed yourself unconscious and you know that you're not fully conscious. But then that hypnotism comes back in and it sweeps you away again. It sweeps you off of that buoy out in the sea of unconsciousness. You find this buoy out in the sea of unconsciousness and you cling to it for a while. And then this great wave of the hypnotism of life comes and whacks you right off that buoy and there you are swept out to sea again and you're unconscious until you find another marker somewhere and you can observe yourself again. Self-observation is like dropping buoys in the sea, markers in the sea that you can find and cling to for a time. And if you learn to cling, if you learn to hang on to those things, if you learn to value those things, then you won't be swept away as easily. But it's almost inevitable that you will be swept away again. You must know this about yourself. And if you don't know this about yourself, you must find out. By observing others, by observing ourselves, by observing the world, we gradually begin to realize why the world is as it is. Because we gradually begin to realize why we are the way we are. We are the way we are because we sleep. We say, oh yes, I'm going to do this, and then we don't do it. Why is that? Well, because we sleep. Because a wave comes and knocks us right off that buoy, and we're swept out to sea again. And what is that sea? It's the sea of unconsciousness, the sea of waking sleep. We could bob around for years out there. 
before we knock up against another buoy, before some lightning strike or something flashes and we see, we can see in the darkness. Suddenly we can see for a moment and we see some shape and we, we start to head toward that. And there's a buoy and it's some place where we can find a hold, an idea that we can hold on to, where it can spark in us some idea, some work memory. Man is in hypnotic sleep. This idea has been taught for thousands of years, but the hypnotism of life is so strong on earth that it's not realized. We hear it, but we forget it. We hear it, and we forget it. And so this is why we repeat this so often. We repeat this so often because the only chance that we have is spaced repetition. If we hear it enough, it's going to make an impression on us if we value what we hear if we subscribe to what we hear, if we follow what we hear. But most of all, if we try to practically apply what we hear, try to find out how you are asleep rather than defend yourself against the idea by saying how you're not asleep. Do you see the difference? One comes from, I think that this is true. Now I want to verify it. The other one comes from, this is a bunch of hogwash and I can prove it. We're hypnotized into believing that we're fully conscious. We're hypnotized into believing that we have real being. We're hypnotized into believing that we have real will. We're hypnotized in believing that we have real I. We're hypnotized into believing that we can actually do, that we can actually say that we'll do something and then do it. When the majority of the time, we can't. But what we can do is imagine that we've done it. What we can do is imagine that we've done it when we said we were going to do it. We can imagine that we did it the way we said we were going to do it. We can imagine that we reached all of our goals. In fact, most people sitting here today, most people listening to me, Imagine that they've reached most of their goals and that they can reach the goals that they now have, that it's just a matter of time. We can't see that we're machines and that everything we do isn't us doing it, it's the machine doing it. We ascribe thousands of things to ourselves that we don't possess. And being generous, only thousands. This whole idea is ridiculous or repugnant to people due to the hypnotism of life. The idea that you are asleep, that you're in waking sleep, is absurd to most people. It's absolutely ridiculous. Or they're annoyed by it and they find it repugnant. They're offended by it. How dare you say that I'm a machine? I'm a glorious, wonderful human being, the crown of creation. Right. It's the hypnotism of life that makes people receive the truth in that way. If a man who self-remembers and one who does not self-remember... We're both on Survivor. You know that popular television show? There's a popular television show called Survivor. I've never seen it, but Curtis told me about it. And I guess he watches it from time to time, is that right? And finds it fascinating or whatever, and, which is fine. I'm sure he finds things that remind him of the work in it, the way that people react to one another under stress, the way that people communicate with one another. Or I shouldn't say communicate, should I? I should say miscommunicate with one another because people don't really communicate with one another. We don't communicate with one another. We are all, for the majority of our lives, wrapped up in the confusion of tongues. We don't understand one another. We think we understand one another. We think we know what the other, exactly what the other person is saying. And we find out that they were wrong, that they were liars, that they didn't do what they said they were going to do. When we could never admit that we misunderstood them, we didn't get what they meant. Because we're so smart, we get everything. So if a man who self-remembers, someone who, who remembers himself, is in the third state of consciousness, and someone who's in the second state of consciousness, they're both on this television program, Survivor, and they're both equally challenged by food, lack of food, lack of whatever they need to get, whatever it is they need to get. They're both equally challenged by that. Which would survive longer? 
Of course, you know the right answer, or I wouldn't be asking the question. So you're going to say, oh, well, the man who self-remembers, he'll survive longer. Really, why? Can a man who self-remembers live without food longer than a man who doesn't? Can a man who self-remembers live without air longer than a man who doesn't? Can a man who self-remembers live without water longer than one who doesn't? Well, Kenny, well, Kenny Punk, <laughs> if he can, why? If he can, how? If someone who self-remembers, if someone in the third state of consciousness could survive longer, why and how? I'll tell you. A man who self-remembers creates energies by transformation of food impressions. Let's take an example, Lance Armstrong, the only man in the history of the Tour de France who has won seven consecutive years. The best anyone ever did before that was five. He won seven consecutive years. Now let's look at Lance Armstrong's physiology, his physical attributes. He has an oversized heart, so his heart is bigger than our hearts. His heart can beat at over 200 beats per minute. I think it's 209, something like that. He has a greater VO2 max. V stands for volume, O2 stands for oxygen. He can get more oxygen into his blood than you can. His VO2 max is high, abnormally high, higher than yours and mine. Yet, this alone doesn't explain his seven consecutive wins of the Tour de France. And the reason is because there are other people who have the same and better VO2 max, better physiology, better muscles, better everything than Lance Armstrong. And there's one guy, a Spanish guy, who his VO2 max is like reported to be like 94 or 96, which is just outrageous. Where Lance Armstrong is like 82 or 84 or something like that. Where yours is probably like 60. <laughs> Anyway, you know, and I'm just making that up. I don't know if that's true. Yours is like 60 or not. But it's, it's not anywhere near Lance Armstrong's. These other people have more, greater physical attributes. But there's something that unseen that works for Armstrong. And what is that? Well, that's the possibility that he's able to transform a different kind of food. You see, they all transform food that they put in their stomachs and the water that they put into their stomachs. They transform that into finer and finer substances that can feed their muscles, feed their blood, feed their bodies. They all take in oxygen, take in air through their noses, and they transform that in their lungs. So the food that they take in and the food and drink that they take in, they transform in their stomachs. At least that's the, the first place the transformation starts. And then the air they take in through their nostrils, that begins its transformation process in the lungs. Okay, so that's transforming all the time. You're sitting here transforming right now. You're transforming air. You're taking the air through your nose. You're taking it into your lungs. You're transforming it. You're feeding your body. It's going into your blood. It's being carried through your blood, your circulatory system, to your cells. And then it's gathering all of the waste products. And then it packs it back to the lungs. And then the lungs then transform those waste products into exhalation. And you exhale the waste. That's incredible. That is a miracle. And you're doing it every three seconds. Yet when I ask you about transformation, you don't know about that. Oh, well, I'm just breathing. Yes, but what about the miracle of that? What about the mystery of that? Well, what about it? I've been taking it for granted my whole life, and I'm not going to stop now. Well, that's true. Maybe the first true thought you've had today. You've been taking it for granted your whole life, and you're not going to stop now. You may have a blip. You go, oh, wow, that's pretty incredible. But that'll be gone soon. The work says that man lives on three foods. The most important food is impressions, then air, and finally, ordinary food. Without impressions, the work says man can't live for a moment. Most people find this unbelievable. Just an outrageous thing to say. Well, of course I could live for a moment without impressions. 
And of course, most people think this. Why wouldn't they? They're hypnotized by life. They're sound asleep. The only thing that's operative in them is the moving center. So they're walking around in this waking sleep, imagining that they know everything, that they're fully conscious, they have real eye, they have real being, they have real will, and they can do. And only self-observation can begin to dismantle that illusion that we live under. So we can live a moment without impressions, we can live a few minutes without air, and without food, we can live a month or so. Food received from the mouth is transformed in th first in the stomach, air received from the nose is transformed in the lungs, the eyes and ears receive impressions, and those impressions are not transformed by the brain. Jesus said to them, To you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to outsiders, everything has to be explained by parables. For seeing they see, and yet do not perceive. And hearing they hear, and yet do not understand. Comes from that ancient esoteric text known as Mark chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. The work teaches that if we self-remember that the impression, the work gives a value to these impressions. Incoming impressions, regular impressions, the work gives a value, and we'll call that value 48. Value is 48. Fuel, 48. Food, 48. If a man self-remembers, he will transform food 48 to food 24, which is a finer, lighter, higher food. Now, you understand that food that goes into your stomach has to be transformed. Let's say you eat a steak, and you put that steak in your stomach. Well, what good is that steak in your stomach going to do untransformed? How can it get into your blood? How can it get into your tissue cells? How can it get to your muscles? How can it do anything for you at all untransformed? Well, it can't. It would, first of all, even if you were going to get it into your body, you would have to chop it up much smaller. So we take a steak, and the first thing you do is you cook it, and that begins the transformation process. The next thing you do is you cut it up. And then the next thing you do is you begin the transformation process in your mouth by chewing it and by mixing your saliva with it and your enzymes with it so that when you swallow it, it can continue the transformation process in your stomach. And then you don't know what goes on in there. The acids and this and that and these things happen and blood comes and, and it does all this and then it goes into the intestines and the intestines begin to transform it and carry off nutrients. And so this whole process goes on. And this whole process, if you ate breakfast this morning, is going on with you right now. So you've got that transformation going on and you've got the transformation of air going on and you've not got the transformation of impressions going on unless you're really working hard to transform impressions. You're bringing this work right up to the level of the incoming impressions. And you are doing the exhaustive work of digesting the impressions that I'm feeding you. Most people are not. Most people will do it for a little bit and then they'll leave off for a long time. Then they'll pick it up again for a few seconds and then leave off for a few minutes or maybe the rest of the talk. That's what happens with most people. Or most people will be entertained or object. So we either are entertained and we can be entertained by being objectionable as well. Sometimes it's entertaining to object. Sometimes people, that's the, all the entertainment they need is just to object, to judge. No, well, that guy's nuts. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What an idiot. Blah, 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 blah. And they find that very entertaining. Okay, whatever. And some people will just be entertained because they think that sometimes I'm funny or sometimes I say things that they never thought of or that sometimes I say things that they have thought of and they think, wow, I thought of that. I think that's true. And they're entertained by that. And what's entertained is their false personality. Well, he thinks what I think, so he must be okay. Right. The work teaches that that transformation process, if someone is self-remembering, will go from food 48 to food 24, and then finally to food 12. This is called the place of the first conscious shock. This is the shock of self-remembering, the shock of self-consciousness, the shock of self-awareness. 
Do you remember when you were aware of yourself for a moment? Do you remember when you remembered yourself for a moment? Do you remember when you were conscious of yourself for a moment? Can you remember that? If you can remember that, you can remember it was quite a shock when you looked out at the world and that it all changed, when it all seemed different, when it all was bright and sparkling and sharp and all the colors were vivid and things were alive and breathing and moving. Do you remember that? Yes. That's very different than the state we're in now, isn't it? Yes. And that's work memory working for you. And it is working for you because it's showing you that you're not in that state now. And that's good. Because you can't get in that state when you think you are in that state. The only way to get in that state is from not being in that state. This shock leads to transformation. Ordinary food is transformed for us without any aid from us. We don't need to do anything. We don't even have to cook it. Somebody else can deliver it to our plate. Somebody else can cut it for us. We can put it in our mouths. In fact, some, somebody else can chew it for us. I've seen mothers chew up food for babies, put it in their mouths, and the babies would eat it. You know, basically, we process foods for babies. We, we process foods for people. You can have a liquid diet, basically. It can all be processed, and you can just drink it. So much of it can be done without our aid. All we have to do is just get it to our stomach, swallow it. That's all we have to do, swallow it. And if you think about intravenous feeding, you don't even have to swallow it. It's all done for us. Food impressions must be transformed consciously, though. Impressions, the food of impressions, must be transformed consciously by us if we wish to develop. If we don't wish to develop, you don't need to do a thing. Just go on about the business of life as you have, and you'll get what you get, which I can assure you will be what you've always got. Until you change your consciousness, until you change your level of being, you will get what you always got. Your life will repeat. You will have the same people in your life, the same types of people, the same types of experiences. You will get rich and get poor, get rich and get poor, get rich and get poor, just like you always have. You will pay your bills and not pay your bills. You will do this and not do this. You will get into accidents or not get into accidents, just like you always have in cycles. Your life will remain the same. Here's the good news. You'll make it to the grave. You'll get there. You don't have to worry about it. don't have to do a thing. Life will carry you to your grave. Life will be your pallbearers. It will get you there. You don't have to worry about it. And you'll probably get there reasonably unhappy, just like everybody else. But if you wish to develop, then you've got to transform food of impressions consciously. We were created self-developing organisms. Because we were created self-developing organisms, it's up to us to transform the food of impressions so that we can develop. We receive our life problems. We receive our life situations as impressions rather than peas and carrots. You receive your ordinary food as peas and carrots, potatoes, steak, whatever. But we receive our life problems and our life situations as impressions instead of peas and carrots, potatoes. My wife divorced me. My kid went to jail. The bank repossessed my house. All that stuff is peas and carrots. But we don't take it as peas and carrots. We don't take it as food. We don't take it as peas and carrots, potatoes and steak. But it's peas and carrots coming mainly through the eyes and ears. This is what we have to begin to see. That all this stuff out here that we're taking in through our eyes and ears, we must consciously turn it into peas and carrots. We must consciously turn it into food. Each hole in our head takes in different material. Eye holes take in light. Ear holes take in sound vibrations. The mouth hole takes in food. The nose holes take in air. But these, the eyes and the ears, these are the ones that do not transform for us. We have to do it. And this is called the first conscious shock. When you take in air, that shocks your food so that your food can be transformed. Because without air, your food can't be transformed. It has to have air. It has to have oxygen to be transformed. It can't transform without oxygen. You could call it oxidation. If you ever look at a piece of steel that's been left out, a piece of iron that's been left out in the elements, it oxidizes. 
begins to rust. It begins to be digested, actually. It's what happens. It begins to be digested. And eventually, it'll just be nothing more than flaky rust, and it'll break. That's transformation. This is what happens in your stomach. The food is happening. Now, this is what needs to happen with the peas and carrots that are coming in through the eyes and the ears, predominantly. The mouth for food transformed in the stomach, the nose for air transformed in the lungs. We have no transforming thing for impressions. We must create it ourselves. We must create it ourselves. We must learn how to transform impressions, which are psychological, or life remains undigested, untransformed, and there'll be no inner development, just like your body would perish if you had no food. Your body would perish without air, but you will perish without impressions. Now, the impressions that are keeping you alive now are keeping you stuck in place, like a fly stuck in amber. But if you can create a place for those impressions to be transformed, and you can, it is possible to do it, then you can begin to grow and develop. You can free yourself from the amber. You can free yourself from this prison, this repetitive prison that the machine keeps us in. To receive impressions in a new way is called the first conscious shock. It's called self-remembering by this work. Man asleep identifies with every situation. He identifies with every impression coming in through the eyes and the ears. Psychological problems, worries, are due to impressions entering the ears and the eyes and how you react to them. Now, when these psychological problems, these worries, these concerns, these upsets come in, they remain untransformed. And we receive them as upsets and worries and all of this other stuff, and we react to them. And our lives remain the same. When we begin to understand this, then we enter the work for real. Then it stops being just this intellectual entertainment, just this study. And it starts to be something real that has the power to transform you, that has the power to change, to alter your life completely, utterly, in every possible way, in unimaginable ways, unimaginable to us right now. When we remember ourselves at a difficult moment, when we might easily identify with everything, we're beginning to give the first conscious shock. Now, if you were paying any attention to me now, you'd be smiling because you have experienced this. You have remembered yourself in a very difficult moment. You have stopped the machine. You have just stopped it dead in its tracks. And you have allowed the work ideas to transform the incoming impression. And you have turned it into something else besides worry, besides upset, besides anger, besides fear. You have done that. So you have begun to give yourself the first conscious shock. So you have a place in you where this can happen. You have created this place in you. Now it's a matter of getting to work, sticking with the business of dealing with these impressions. Just in the difficult moments, fine. Then do it just in the difficult moments for now. This is our job. This is our purpose. This is why we're here. I know I say this a lot. And I say it a lot because we have to be reminded of it a lot because the wave comes and knocks us off the buoy. Yes, you're clinging to the buoy now. But how long will it be when you walk out the door till a wave comes along and sweeps you back out into the sea of waking sleep? It won't be long. Tether yourself with these ideas. Tether yourself to the buoys. Find a way to get back. Hook up a bungee cord. Find some way to get back to these, to claw your way back to these. We either get busy with this, this work, our job, our purpose, what we're here for, or we go back to sleep. And you know, the thing I want to tell you is you've gone back to sleep a thousand times now. So we know you can do that. But we also know that you can wake up again too. And that waking up is easier now. And that getting back to work is easier now than it has been. Continue to work and it will get easier and easier and easier. That doesn't mean the work is easy. It just means it will come to you easier. You'll notice the rope hanging just above you quicker and easier than you have in the past. And that will continue to get better. 
don't give up. And above all else, don't forget that most of the time you're lost at sea. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.